All right, everyone, welcome back to another episode of Faithfully Engaged. Today, we have a guest on. Her name is Frida. And Frida, would you mind telling us a little bit about yourself? Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. So my name is Frida. I am the host of Finding the Faith, which is Thursday, 7 p.m. live on Rumble. I'm also an ex-Jehovah's Witness, just trying to figure out the whole religious thing. But right now, I am a non-denominational Christian. And I am a conservative. Fantastic. So you are just all the bad things in the world. You are a terrible person. That's what I heard from you. Yes. Yes. I'm a racist. I'm not a Nazi. I'm all of it. (laughs) I'm trouble. It's even my middle name. There you go. Well, let's start with with your show first, of Finding the Faith. Mm-hmm. Tell tell us just a little bit uh, about that and why you decided to make that show. So for the longest time, I really wanted to get into the podcasting space, but I wasn't entirely sure what I would podcast about. And then getting more and more into the culture war, I just, a lot of it was kind of depressing to be honest. It was like every new day would find out that this company was doing this bad thing or this group of people were engaging in this really horrendous thing. And it just felt nonstop, almost like you couldn't breathe with all of the craziness and literal culture war going on. And I wanted to find a place where we kind of get to know each other in the culture war, kind of this is who's fighting behind, like next to you in that foxhole. Mm a place of encouragement where we would focus on the good and the beautiful and not so much the external craziness. That's just mind blowing. Yeah. Oh, I I think that's a great reason. And that's honestly a lot of um, what led me into making initially the truth and grace counseling podcast, but also now into faithfully engaged that as as Christians, as conservatives, I think we are rightfully concerned about things in the culture. And mm-hmm. I don't think we should turn a blind eye or just act like everything's fine. That anger point oftentimes is necessary to realize, no, this is wrong. That being said, so much of the content out there is, yep, this is terrible. And yeah, then, then what? <laughs> like there's nothing else going on with that. And I I find that leads a lot of people to anger and apathy, and it's not helpful. It's something we need to know about, but then go the next step. So I really appreciate that you're trying to to do that, to show, um, yeah, there there is encouragement. We need to know the people that I love how you put in the foxhole, um, next to me, um, and really engage in that, build each other up instead of, did you see what AOC tweeted? That was stupid. Like That yeah. just doesn't help us too much. Exactly. And I've been so blessed by getting into this because, I, I mean, I live in a blue state. It mm. is, I mean, with the exception of our brunch place, which is very, very special to me, they have amazing waitresses. We love them all. Give them Christmas gifts every year. And they have, like, Newsmax on while we're all, like, brunching, like, trying to be normal people. <laughs> um, but other than that, there's not really a sane person in sight. And so it's just been such a blessing to get to connect with like-minded people who mm-hmm. share the same values, who share the same 
or similar journeys and same experiences. Yeah. Now, I, I don't want to uh, put you on the spot too much, but do you mind sharing what blue state that you're in? That's one of the things I don't do. Yeah, no, fair enough. Fair enough. With the uh, the craziness of the internet and people in the world, I don't blame you. I don't blame yeah. you with it. <laughs> There's two things that you won't be able to figure out about me. I mean, you can like look in public records and stuff if like you really want to get into it <laughs> but I don't say my state or my age or my last name because of what my husband does for work ah okay gotcha well that hey I'm I'm big on making the internet uh work for you instead of the other way around um the way that I probably do that the most <laughs> is um my my wife and I, we were both off of social media for years um, yeah. when we got married. And that actually was fantastic. And I kind of missed, missed those days. Um, not Same. that I, <laughs> it's not that I can't go back, but once I started Truth and Grace Counseling, I was like, I probably should have somewhat of an online presence just for business. Yeah. And um, I am making it work better. And <laughs> this... Uh, I, I actually on Twitter, um, I hated Twitter to no end before, but I just say I've made my own little echo chamber and I realized that, but it's made my life a whole lot easier <laughs> that my head yeah. doesn't hurt as much. As long as I recognize I'm in an echo chamber, I'm, I'm okay. Um, so that's one way. And then another way is mm -hmm. um, I don't put any pictures of of my kids who are the cutest little kids and I would get all sorts are. of likes and retweets and stuff, but I, I don't want them. I don't, I don't, I don't trust people. So they're, yeah, they're not good. They're going to have a very low internet profile. So I will completely respect you on that. I understand. I mean, it's such a valid thing too, because even if, I mean, let's say you have, you know, a really intense fan and you put down, you know, your kid's name, let's say their name's like Skylar or something. <laughs> and they see you out and they're like, oh, Skylar. And then they're, mm -hmm. Skylar's like, how do you know my name? Hi. Like thinking it's a safe person because the person actually knows their name. Yeah. And obviously there's a lot of stranger danger that goes into that, but it's just getting far too easy to be creepy these days if we're not, you know, minding our social media boundaries. Yeah. Yeah. I, I actually had a guest on here recently. It was a fascinating conversation that he, um, He's actually the the founder of this website called Revedit that looks at uh, Reddit post and it can see if your post was shadow banned. And we were just talking through kind of shadow banning, what that means, and kind of internet discourse. Mm -hmm. And yeah, but basically what we ended up getting down into is we are people. We need to make our individual, like our real life, when you're going to, to brunch with people, um, make those relationships paramount. Those are more important. The internet relationships are great. That's how we're talking. It's fantastic. But don't let the internet take over your life. It is not, exactly. not worth it. Not worth it at all. Exactly. I mean, in 2020, when I left my, business, my first business behind... I went completely off social media, left everything behind, deleted everything. And just not having Instagram for that short while, I didn't realize how much trying to 
not that I would necessarily keep up with the Joneses, but like mm-hmm. hearing all of these like cool new products mm-hmm. and having like those specialized ads. And it's like, oh, wow. When I don't have all of this materialism shoved down my throat pretty much 24 seven, I don't really want to shop anyways. Cause I like what I have and I'm blessed yeah. to have what I have. Yeah. And no, that's, they know what they're doing. <laughs> they, they absolutely do. know what they're doing. So if it wasn't for my podcast mentor, I honestly wouldn't have gotten an Instagram again. But he's like, you have to. And I'm like, fine. Yeah. It, <laughs> so, it is kind of a necessary evil when you're doing yeah. doing things like this, unfortunately. But again, let's wield it for good. I would rather there exactly. be good content on Instagram than just all horrible, terrible things. Yeah. Uh, which kind of leads into, um, I, I, I'm not on Instagram as much. I think I followed you on Instagram, but I don't remember. Um, but I know I, I found you on Twitter and yeah. I was, I was curious just with your handle named, which is the based babe, which I think is a fantastic Twitter handle. Um, Thank you. I was wondering if there's any story or, or, or kind of what led you into to making that, that handle. So, it was a couple things initially. Um, back in the 2015, like the years right around then, I owned my own business called Boundary Babe. I did a lot of work with women, helping them with their, you know, boundaries, their femininity, trying to have healthier relationships with others. Because at the time, I was also a psych major, and I had gone through a lot of stuff that helped me really understand boots on the ground wise mm. how all of that worked so I was really able to help people like that but then 2020 came and my business being a luxury business kind of it didn't make it through COVID and honestly retrospectively I'm glad because that space was getting so woke that people were upset that I was spelling, you know, women's coaching, W-A, sorry, W-O-M-A-N instead of W-O-M-X-N. And like all of this stuff was getting shoved down my throat. And I'm like, you know what? I'm out. Bye. (laughs) Like if your guy's going to get consistently have these, all these problems with me, I'm just, I'm going to see myself out. And then I realized, kind of took a step back. I was like, what matters to me the most? Like, what truly are my values? And I realized that I've always been, you know, a kind of mainline conservative. I've had some, you know, libertarian-esque escapades, Mm -hmm. but it's always been about family. It's always been about femininity, faith, freedom. And my, like, we had to do presentations when I was in high school because I went through like their career technical education program. They were like, so what are you going to do with your life? And I was like, they were expecting like dental assistant or doctor or nursing practitioner. And I was like, I want to be a wife and do a lot of volunteer work. And they were like, why did you take this? And I was like, because now if my husband gets hurt, I can fix them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I- you know, that's that's so interesting, kind of your your discussion there, um, and especially with your I, I like talking to somebody that's in a um, in a blue state like you are, because I am the reddest of all the red. Like I'm in I'm in rural Oklahoma, like it it really can't get that much more 
red. Like we're the red part of a red state. So I've heard uh, that they have like amazing art museums in Oklahoma. Is that true? They have what that? Amazing art museums. There are some, um, there, especially in Tulsa. Um, there, there's some really good ones. Uh, I'm blanking on uh, what the big ones called. It's something with the with the G. I can't can't remember what it is. But um, anyways, uh, yeah, there's some Sorry. really great ones. No, that's that's a that's a great question. There's there's some good ones in Oklahoma City too. So yeah, we're not all uh, out in a in a wheat field, and uh, you know, there's absolutely <laughs> nothing. But um, yeah, there's some great art. There's some there's some really cool things in the state. And what's neat about Oklahoma City and and mm-hmm. Tulsa is, while yes, it is more liberal. There's no way around that. It's still red. Like we, I believe we're the only state in. 2016 to vote all red in the presidential election and i know we did again in 2020 but i don't know if we were the only one but um yeah it was very conservative that being said Mm -hmm. i'm generally a harsher critic on conservative states and conservative just culture um in part because i i am i am in a conservative state i am more conservative and i care about conservatives and and kind of this culture more it means more to me so it's kind of like with my kids i'm going to be more critical on my kids than someone else's kids yeah exactly and with that in real super conservative culture what you were kind of describing there of like kind of more of a feminist type of mindset like you just want to do this to care for your husband what's wrong with you you know that kind of <laughs> mindset yeah that happens in blue states sure but it happens here too. And one in particular instance, um, I, I, we're actually in Sunday school. So mm-hmm. again, we're in Sunday school in rural Oklahoma. That just needs to be yeah. said here. Um, it's very my, important my, context. Exactly. My, my wife was a teacher at the time. And at the time, we weren't planning on homeschooling our kids. And now we are. But she was saying that she was planning on taking um, time off of work to be a stay-at-home mom. Um, and she said she was going to do that until the kids were were older. So she was planning on like 10 years of being off of uh, out of work. Um, and we don't expect everybody to say like, oh, everyone has to do that. So that wasn't the issue, but it was the shock. Like, whoa you're taking 10 years off. Like that was like the most foreign idea ever in Sunday school in rural Oklahoma. So these kind of general cultural Mm -hmm. um, drifts of of, of feminism and and things of that nature, um, they exist here that sometimes we think, Oh, that happens in California. That happens Mm -hmm. in New York. That doesn't happen here. It does. It absolutely does. And in fact, it's a, it can be quite more dangerous here in a red state because we kind of have the blinders on. Um, we, we think it can't happen here. And no. it, it does. It very much does here. I, but that's really awesome that your wife is, is having the opportunity to do that because that's one of like my personal financial you know, dreams. Because like right now I'm a homemaker and 
when that you know time comes for us to have kids we are planning on homeschooling we're planning on me taking that time off until they can have more of a handle on their homeschooling and i just like help them like work from home while they're doing that because the best part of schooling for me from everything was when i was homeschooled Mm. and my best friends growing up were homeschooled and it was just such an amazing culture and all the amazing things that I got to participate in. Is that something with, especially since you had your own homeschooling uh, experience growing up, is that something you've always wanted to do eventually for your kids or has that changed over the years? It's been one of those, maybe we'll check it out. Like let my husband take the lead, let him see what he thinks, kind of leaving it in his hands kind of things. But then as more and more and more crazy books were put in the library and more teachers were having grooming charges against them and mm-hmm. more psyops and terrible things going on were going on i mean we were like there's really only one way to do this if we're gonna yeah. have kids because they're gonna be our most important investment in the world like they're not our property they're they belong to god but also at the same mm-hmm. time too we're called to be faithful stewards and everything we have from our skin to our kids to our homes and everything else yes and it felt like it was the only responsible way to do it and i know that not everybody is able to make the sacrifices and i know that not everybody has the privilege but I think there's definitely some ways where you can make certain things happen, especially if you leave in God's hands. Yeah. And that's what we intend to do, especially because it's just, it's one of those things, you know? I, I, I think for you, what kind of what you're, you're getting at here, um, you're right. And I'm, I'm big on this too, of not a, Oh, look at me. I'm homeschooling. I got to stay at home. My wife, you're, family has to look exactly like mine. No, I, I don't think that. What I do think, though, is the notion, particularly with women, and I I actually have made this a focus of my, of my counseling practice of working specifically with homeschool moms because there's so many new homeschool moms out there that are yeah. like, oh, crud, th- this, there's bad stuff going on. And they are, they have the deer in the headlights look like, I can't mm-hmm. do this. I don't have an education in this. I can't teach my kids. And I think it's just really important to, before you have kids, if you have Mm -hmm. that ability to prepare, if it's something you want to do, prepare financially, prepare, Mm -hmm. you know, look at some homeschooling curriculum or ask a homeschool mom of what that, what do they do that works? Like, I literally already have the curriculum picked out and I'm not even pregnant yet. Well, there you go. A perfect example of don't wait, like just make the commitment. If you are ready to make the commitment to do it, make the commitment first and then make it happen. Most of the times you are the limiting factor there and not your circumstances. Yeah. And I'm not going to say that's a hundred percent, but if you truly think you and your husband, it's best for you to homeschool your kids there more than likely is a way to get it done. You you just have to make that commitment. Exactly. And I think it's going to be really helpful too because my sister-in-law, she has two kids. I'm an aunt of two and they are 
they're just amazing. <laughs> my um, my nephew caught a fish for the first time a couple days ago, so the whole family's been excited about that. But he, yeah. um, she's homeschooling her kids, and so we hope she'll be able to move closer in the future to kind of homeschool our kids all together. Yeah, yeah, that's that's the beauty of homeschooling too. That I think a lot of parents are starting to realize. You don't have to make it a little miniature public school in your house. Make it yeah. what works. If you have family nearby, do it together. If you have friends, trade off, teach different classes, join a co-op. Like there's all exactly. sorts of different ways to do it. Don't limit yourself into like you have to just have them ha get your own chalkboard and have them sit down for eight hours a day and do it exactly like you do at, at public school. No, like don't exactly. You don't have to limit I'm not trying to throw shade to anyone, but if you're doing the chalkboard and desk route and you're doing the, here's the worksheets, do the worksheets. It has to be kind of like training for nine to five, but inside our own home, you're missing the point. You're missing the opportunity and you're missing the experience that it really could be with connecting with your child. Yeah. And I know it can be, you know, hard at first because I've helped parents who are homeschoolers. I've helped like I've been a homeschooler for a small portion of my education, but I just think that it's really crucial because I think, I mean, to a degree of thankfully, I've had both sides of like being homeschooled and not being homeschooled. Mm -hmm. And when I was in public school, I would go and I would learn things all about like evolution and like all these things that, you know, are scientific theories, but they don't present the other side of the theory and everything. And then after that, I would get home and I would have to sit for five hours reading about all why the things I just learned for the past eight hours in school were wrong. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. it's like, if you don't program your kids with what the world has to say and think, then you won't have to deprogram your kids. That's a great point. That I, I think you nailed it there that it's the ideologies of the world and not just the bad teacher um, the one rotten apple type of type of concept. And I, I want to be careful with that. Like, I know there's great teachers out there. I have family Absolutely. members that are teachers. The, the system is working against them. Yeah. And you don't want to put the system just into your home. Like you're saying, you can... You can teach them about, if you're a Christian, teach them about God. Like, make that a massive part of their education. How cool is that? You have that exactly. ability to do it. Um, and, and even on the more practical levels, um, with my with my three-year-old, my daughter, how we're going to educate her is different than with my one-year-old son. Like, Absolutely. I, my daughter loves to go and pick flowers. Go have her on a day when she's it's nice outside. We're going to go pick a dandelion and think of all the things we can do with that. We can look at the science of the dandelion um, and, and kind of inspect that. We can make dandelion the spelling word of the day. Um, mm -hmm. We can look at the grammar. What what type of word is dandelion? We just did that exactly. by picking something out of the backyard. Exactly. It's limitless what you can do. So don't exactly. don't limit yourself. You can even have like a little field guide book like that you make for yourself. I've actually gotten into making my own books with book finding. Yeah. I'm such a DIY nerd. But and you can like press like the flower and then uh -huh. have like look back at it at the end of the year and look at all the flowers you want there. 
Yeah. I, I had another guest on here recently. Um, uh, she kind of on Instagram goes by uh, Sweet Sequels, has her own little shop there. And she talked about that they have a unique setup that they do like a hybrid. So half the week they're at this private school and half the week they're at home. Like, again, there's just so many different ways. And there's I know that can be overwhelming. That's the easy part of home or uh, mm-hmm. public school or even just normal private school. Yeah, they go to school, they get their school list and then they come home and that, that's it. Um, so I know that can be overwhelming, but yeah, you can do you can speak so much truth and life and fun into your kids. And I, that's what I try to get parents to do is realize, no, it's not just this. Oh, man, I'm obligated because they're shoving all this ideology down my kid's throat yeah maybe you start there but let's finish with all the wonderful beautiful things that are presented there exactly and i feel like sometimes there can be kind of that imposter syndrome Mm -hmm. if you will when it comes to parents being like oh well i don't have an education background i'm fortunate because i do actually i worked in education in a lot of years but a lot of parents don't have that you know kind of experience and so they yeah. look at themselves and they're like I'm just a parent and it's like no you are a parent that is a mm-hmm. blessing nobody knows your child better than you do yeah. and when it comes to all of the different curriculums they absolutely can be overwhelming there's like so much to them sure. but because of the fact that you are the parent you know your child the best you know your child's better than anybody else and because of that factor you can go this curriculum with these aspects of it is the exact way that my child learns and so they're not going to be stuck on this topic not being able to grasp it more fully because it's in this type of curriculum in that way it really helps not only free you up as a parent, but you know that your child's getting the best education because of the fact that you're the one educating them. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I just think we are, you're like you said earlier, missing the picture. If it's just a out of fear, I don't want the LGBTQ, whatever agenda shoved on my kid. That's fine to be a starting place. And, and, and I'll, to kind of back up, some of the listeners may have heard this from me before. My wife and I, our starting place was this story we heard. We were listening to the uh, to Ali Beth Stuckey's podcast. This is like 2019 or something. And she shared the story of a public school. I believe it was in Madison, Wisconsin. And where they were... Uh, I think just socially transitioning this child. So calling, like, I think they even called this child a completely different name. And I don't even remember which sex of the child this was, but we'll just say for sake of argument, you have a little girl and Mm -hmm. they call your little girl, a little boy at school. And then they go back home and they never told you that they were calling your little girl, a little boy. Um, And we heard that story like, Oh no, that that doesn't fly. I, I, I don't like that. And that was the precipice for us to really dig deeper into this. And Mm -hmm. 
while that was our starting point, that's not where it stayed. Um, it went so much deeper. And now, yeah, we have our uh, all of our curriculum bought too. And um, we're already doing um, for for my uh, three-year-old and honestly starting to do with my, my one-year-old, um, we have some uh, different uh, Baptist catechisms that we're doing with them. Oh, cool. of, uh, like my daughter will, will ask, uh, who made you? And she'll say, God made me. And it's Aww. awesome. Like my, my little so three-year-old is quoting some scripture and things like that. And that's, that's education. She's not, yeah. she's not quote kindergarten, but we're already educating her and it's awesome. So exactly. don't just live in that fear. Understand the joy that, that it can really bring. Exactly. There's so much good and beautiful out there, especially if you open your mind and your heart and let God guide you. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I know we talked just real briefly off air of kind of your your faith journey and uh, kind of a, a spoiler alert for those out there. It's, it's quite the doozy. So <laughs> yeah. kind of just start with us a little bit of, yeah, what... What was your faith journey? What did that What did that all look like for you? So I was born to an Irish Catholic single mother in Ireland. She was originally from Boston. I am a naturalized citizen. So before I got on the plane, just in case, didn't want me to end up in purgatory, they made sure I was baptized with some family members at one of the churches in Ireland. And then I came over to this country with the help of my grandfather's friends, the Kennedys, Yes, those kind of days. And I was baptized in the Boston Archdiocese, which fun, like super random fact, because it's kind of cool how I always like managed to be just a couple steps away from like Kevin Bacon, like greatness kind of thing. <laughs> my childhood, um, my childhood priest, Father Jack, was actually when they were doing the um for like the, you know how they like anoint the Pope or with the red smoke? Yeah. I'm no longer Catholic, so I'm not trying to commit, like, <laughs> heresy or anything. But he was in succession to potentially be the Pope. Oh, wow. Which, to me, is, like, so wild. That, like, my childhood priest, who we're actually going to be naming our son after in the future, my husband's family tends to make boys, so we plan for both <laughs> eventualities. <laughs> um, we're, so, yeah. So he almost became the Pope. And then... When my mom unfortunately ended up getting cancer, passing away, I was left to be inherited by her older sister, who had never wanted kids and made that readily apparent every day I existed. And she basically told me, oh, if you're a really good girl and you do all these things, you can see your dead mom again. And I was like, I'm seven. Of course I want to see my dead mom again. That's my mom. And so because of that, I kind of, she, if you ask her, her version of the story, she says that she offered me to get me a babysitter or to go with them. And I was in survival mode and I was a people pleaser. And I was like, you go to three meetings every week and you're gone for a long time. It's going to be really expensive to keep me around and not stick me in foster care if you like have to keep paying for babysitters. So I guess I'll just go with you. So I go. And <laughs> at this point, my mom was still alive, but she was in the hospital. And there was so much love bombing that took place. It was insane, like the amount of love bombing. But... 
because I was seven, I just thought everybody was really nice and everybody really liked me. And I was like, okay, there's a bunch of free candy and people being nice to me. Of course. I love it. <laughs> like, I'm going to get all this candy and gifts to my dead mom. Again. It's great. And so I went through that. I went through kind of their hierarchical steps. First, I became an unbaptized publisher, which is basically Jehovah's Witness speak for, if I talk to you about Jehovah, I get to count 15 minutes or however long we spoke on a little sheet and get a little pat on the head from the elders. Yeah. And then after that, I got baptized at nine years old because I was running out of things I could do, but like in that hierarchy kind of. And then after that, I auxiliary pioneered, which is doing 50 hours every month, going around and door knocking, did that several, several times. So imagine me being in high school and not only holding down a part-time job, which was like three days a week, but going to three meetings a week and then also doing 50 hours of that community service on top of doing the other community service, which was called the regional building committee, which is going around and doing all of this like unpaid labor for them to build more kingdom halls and do stuff like that. Pretty tiring and probably explains why I can't actually relax. (laughs) Goodness. Well, staying on honor roll, of course, because anything else was just, you know, unacceptable. It brought less than glory for God. So that is, you know, I, I've heard of Jehovah's Witness. I know a little bit of study, but um, it's as work-based to the core as as it can get. Yep. <laughs> Goodness. Yeah. So, so you're you're caught in that. You're just working your way to heaven so to speak um then what how how, how do you get out of that so i got in trouble for kissing a boy because i was a rotten little tramp in their eyes and i had to go and sit in front of three men a bit older than yourself and tell them oh yes when that boy kissed me i did kiss him back well my aunt and uncle were on either side of me And then when I did other teenage things, I got in more trouble because I was trying to just figure things out because I was like, okay, this is what this says, but this is what this says. But like other things are telling me this. So I was like trying to figure it out while still managing to be a good noodle because I also, even though I never asked for it, was annoyingly the person that all of the other parents held their kids up to be. Why can't you be more like Frida? And I'm like, no, your kid's awesome just the way they are. Let them live. <laughs> I didn't ask for this. And then everybody hated me. And I was like, well, this is awkward. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so I thought, so because of those transgressions during my teenage years, I wasn't allowed to pioneer, which do 70 hours a month, every month, um, for an entire year, I wasn't allowed that privilege. And I had based my entire like post high school experience off of that. I was going to pioneer for a year and then I was going to go and get some more like training and education and do some other stuff. And I had gotten to that point and I was like, I can do it. I can do it. Like, it's going to, it's going to be great. And then they're like, no, because you kissed a boy a couple years ago. So everybody still thinks you're a tramp. And I'm like, oh, well, that's not cool. No, thank you. <laughs> like, 
Like, he was cute. It was my birthday. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> no, but actually, like, my first kiss was literally a Taylor Swift song. <laughs> <laughs> it was, like, on the riverbank of, like, my aunt's property as the sun was setting on my 13th birthday. Can't make that stuff up. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> a boy who was so Southern, I couldn't pronounce his last name. <laughs> <laughs> like, I wasn't sure what he was saying, but anyways, I digress. Um, so, I finally kind of just throw myself into like work post high school do a bunch of volunteer work do what I can do to kind of prove myself that like I'm worthy of being able to be a pioneer yeah because a lot of the brothers would only look would only look at you to be potential marriage material if you were a pioneer so I was like Mm -hmm. I want to get married I want to get myself a husband after pioneer I have to like do all the things and during that year I was just like "Mm, nah because my aunt got really sick and had some severe mental health problems mm-hmm. and it was just my uncle believed her that she was a prophetess and that she was gonna bring about armageddon and i was like no i don't even have to have taken that one high school psychology class to tell you that she's having a break from reality mm-hmm. so i had to help her with that And the more I saw this and the more I saw the interplay with the elders and how everybody was handling things and just watching me be the one little teeny bopper teenage girl who somehow got like shoved into this position without, you know, giving me the love and protection that I desperately needed. I was like, this isn't a place for me. Mm. And I just felt so haunted by it. And so I was like, well, maybe, maybe if I pioneer and I go out and I try to prove that Jehovah exists to everybody else, I'll prove it to myself. Mm-hmm. Maybe. And I finally got the opportunity. I even got to do cart witnessing, which for those of you who don't know, it's like a really big deal. You have to be more special than a pioneer to be able to go and stand by the carts and do the witnessing and being like, hey, sir, businessman, I know you're on a business meeting, but here, take this. Just like shove a magazine in your hands. And the thing is, a lot of the people who are Jehovah's Witnesses are lovely people who are honestly being spiritually oppressed. Sure. When I say my experience, there's two things I don't want people to take away. I don't want them to take away that I was some sort of victim. I'm a survivor. I survived and I escaped that call. And I also don't want them to be mean and nasty to Jehovah's Witnesses because a lot of them don't know what they're doing. They're doing the best that they can and doing what they're told because a lot of times their family's in there or they have a lot of reasons for being stuck in there because when you grow up in it or even when like you can't go out and have friends that aren't part of your religion and it's their way of controlling you even further so that when you eventually do leave if you do get to leave thankfully there's been a record numbers but you lose everything i lost my best friend of 10 years i lost my hairdresser i mean let me tell you i did stay to get my final round of highlights i like match that perfectly because like I don't trust a lot of people with my hair but I lost all of my little friends I lost all of my babysitting clients I lost everything and then because of the fact that I hadn't grown up around my family it was just I didn't really have anybody except for my husband because the way this whole thing worked was I was pioneering I was doing great and then I met my husband and I was like, 
I mean, this is obviously the man I want to marry. He is the most Christ-like man I've ever met. He has an amazing work ethic. He is so hilarious. And I mean, he's gorgeous. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like I used to more, you know how like more gorgeous than the thirteen-year-old on the riverbank, though. Yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I met him that summer before I started pioneering. And I was just like, oh my gosh. I walked over to him. And mind you, as a... Joe isn't necessarily actually Christian, but like, there's a lot of similarities in the social awkwardness of young actual Christian girls and young Jehovah's Witness girls. And I had that. And I walked over to him because he was picking up my favorite camper. And I was like, hi, I'm Miss Frida. And he's like, hi, Miss Frida. And he like immediately made fun of me. And I was like, yes, I'm going to marry him. (laughs) (laughs) And I did. So like it worked out. But so we started like being friends. And I was like, I really need to see about the whole Jehovah's Witness thing. Because if I go this way, I'm going to lose everything. Mm -hmm. So I was a bit afraid to go that way. But the more we got to know each other, the more he held space for me emotionally and held space for my growth and my healing and everything else the more it was undeniable that it was it was inevitable so I was pioneering I was kind of fibbing on my like here's here's the thing when you're escaping your occult I'm sure you already know this which is for the audience you're in ultimate survival mode Mm -hmm. you do things that you are not proud of but you do them to survive sure So, yes, I was, as a 20-year-old, sneaking out my window to Miranda Lambert music, jumping over the thorn bush and tuck and rolling into his passenger seat because I wasn't allowed to date him. So, as a 20-year-old, I was going to do what I was going to (laughs) do. And I was fibbing on my time cards. And, I mean, that's not a good thing, objectively. But it's what I had to do to make sure that I would be physically and financially and all the other types of safe. And so it was, just, it was brutal. How, how long of a process and this kind of kind of limbo of sorts that I, I'm having to fake this, but I'm uh, dating my to be husband over here. Like how long of a process did that take? About six months. Hmm. Worst six months of my life. <laughs> I, to get out on Saturday nights, I pretended I was learning. I mean, I knew enough Portuguese to pretend that I was learning Portuguese and going to the Portuguese meeting. <laughs> it's funny. It's not good. I'm doing a lot better morally and ethically now <laughs> that I can afford the luxury of morals and ethics. Sure. But yeah, so it was a whole thing. And that was kind of when I kind of proved to myself if I haven't been struck down by lightning yet, if I haven't been caught yet, if I haven't been anything yet, then I don't think Jehovah's are actually a real God, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And what really hit the nail on the head for me was they had these things called circuit assemblies, which is when a bunch of congregations from a certain area get together. And all of these people, like, they give, like, these big important speeches and all sorts of stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Um, 
So I'm going to that and I, I'm not paying attention because I just, I can't. At this point, I can finally hear the propaganda that's breaking through my brainwashing. And I'm like, mm-hmm, this is so uncomfortable. I think I'm going to throw up. <laughs> can somebody have like a Xanax or something? Because I'm going to like pass out and like have a panic attack. Um, and somebody walked up to me and they were like, hey, I heard your story about you and your aunt and how you're being such an amazing person by taking care of her. I think there's a lot of people in our, you know, in this organization that have sick parents that could really learn from your example. Meanwhile, I was doing all of this stuff mm-hmm. that I was raised to believe wasn't what you were supposed to be doing. And I was like, me? And he's like, you. And I was like, oh. And I've been like writing for like the local paper and like then they wanted me to like write for the Awake magazine. Mm. Which they have two magazines that kind of go around and pass out the watchtower in the Awake. And I was like, You want me to do what? (laughs) (laughs) And that's when I knew that if not the big head honcho from Bethel himself, that if you asked some Jehovah's Witnesses would probably tell you he could walk on water. If he didn't know what I was doing, if he Mm. didn't have some like magical sixth sense of like figuring out how I was not being the best noodle I could be, then that's when kind of the facade of everything just kind of came crumbling down. And I was like, yeah, nah. And it got to the point where one day I was found out. I had my, they were coming out because we were late coming back. Hmm. And that Sunday morning, and I was like, I'm going to be in so much trouble. And then my stiletto just fell out on the floor and I was like trying to grab at it well they were like looking in the car and I was like oh my god oh my god it's over but then I was like no you know what it's it's over and so they made me they dragged me before the elders because the thing is there's a couple ways to get out you can be Pima which is physically and mentally out you can be um Pomi. <laughs> these are just like weird acronyms because it makes <laughs> like it makes more sense, but it's easier to type out on like social media. But sure. um, physically out, mentally in, like you're tr- disfellowship, but you're trying to come back because you can either get dissociated or disfellowship. Dissociated is when you break up with them. Disfellowship is when they kick you out. Ah, uh, okay. And so I was initially, I was just gonna kind of like run away a little but I was just gonna like just not be there you know this is gonna be fine it was not fine mm-hmm. and they dragged me before them and they were like asking all these really intimate intimate questions like questions that if you imagine like guys like locker room talk about how a certain thing went down you would not be that crass mm-hmm. and I'm yeah. just this 20 year old girl sitting behind like in front of these three men who are on like their 50s and 60s with both of my aunt and uncle next to me. And I'm just like, Mm. I don't believe in Jehovah anymore. I don't know if I believe in God at this point. I Mm. have gone through all of this. I've done my best to do all of the things I can do. I'm here. I'm car witnessing. I'm pioneering. I'm running for the awake. I'm doing all of this stuff and giving my entire life to the organization and giving my entire life to God. And I'm not getting anything back. Mm. And I'm not even getting good, happy serotonin. (laughs) Like, I'm getting nothing. 
I'm getting pain. I'm getting frustration. I'm getting lies. And I'm not here for it. So I think I'm going to leave and I'm going to go be with my, you know, my future husband. And that's just going to be that. Hmm. And then they kept pressing and pressing and pressing to a point where I felt like because of who they were, I had to answer their questions. Although I realize now that I didn't have to answer their questions, but I was a scared 20 year old girl. Sure. And a a scared 20 year old girl too, with this is, this is all you know. This is this is your life. So that that makes sense. Yeah. And so I answered them and then they like kicked us out of the room. We sat in like the main hall because they have like a main hall and then they have like kind of a little back conference room. They had a conference about it. They were like, no, we're kicking her out. And at the end, I just said, it's been nice knowing you. I love you guys. Hmm. Because I meant it. Because, yes, I might have had wildly different worldviews than they did, but I still cared about them and hoped that their lives and their wives and their kids and everything worked out the way way they wanted it to be. Even though they had put me in the situation, even though they didn't particularly help when I ended up having to, you know, 50-150 my aunt when she thought she was calling about Armageddon. And I was talking to them from inside a closet. And it was just, it was a whole thing. And it was so brutal that I was like, I think the only person that can protect me is me. And I'm going to go do that. Hmm. And so I got this fellowship. Nobody could talk to me. It was a whole, like a full on, it was like a medieval shunning. Hmm. And I was like, it, it is what it is. And then people would come over to like talk to my aunt and uncle or like they were friends with them and they'd be like, come back to Jehovah. We miss you. And it's like, you didn't speak to me early for like six years. Like the past six years we have barely spoken, but now all of a sudden I matter so much to you because I'm trying to protect myself. Mm. And it was always the same, like older like brothers that had previously gotten disciplined for doing sketchy things with their stepkids. <laughs> and then like the elder who was initially on my first judicial committee, which is what like the committee is called when they like meet and they're like, so you're bad. Tell us how bad you are. I was out dancing with some of my girlfriends from high school. Cause I was trying to like meet new people and just like make friends and stuff. Yeah. And two of them came in and he was like grinding and dancing on my friend. And I'm like, what? what <laughs> so I like tap him on the shoulder and I'm like hey what's up and he looked like he saw a ghost and was just like dying and I was like yeah mm-hmm. I know why I'm here I can be here I don't have to play by your rules but you do you're literally mm-hmm. within the top part of the hierarchy of your congregation why are you here mm-hmm. and so during that point I was disfellowshipped and it was really hard because my aunt and uncle weren't really talking to me, yeah. even though I lived there, because I they were so like hyper. Um, I'm sure there's like a psychology word for it. But they were like helicopter parents, pretty much. Yeah, yeah. And they wouldn't let me get my license. They wouldn't let me do anything so I could go away and get out and move on. And that made it even harder when they came to me one day and they were like, "The elders told us." that if you're not going to serve Jehovah in this house, 
that we need to make sure you go away and that you go and leave this house and don't live here anymore. And I'm like, mm-hmm. what? Okay. But because of the fact that they frowned so much on education, they frowned so much on, like, they themselves individually frowned so much on me getting my license and not helping me have any of the resources that most normal families would help their kids have so that they could, like, progress in the chair when they weren't desperately afraid that you'd leave them. They, I was just at a loss. I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do. So I was homeless for a little bit. Wow. I like went from couch to couch to couch and then my father-in-law allowed me to move in and we had just gotten engaged because my husband, he was like, okay, if you're leaving literally everything behind for me, which he made sure he's like, I love you very much. I will do whatever you need me to. If you can't leave, if you don't feel like leaving is the right thing to do, I will understand that and you will be the love of my life that got away. Hmm. It just it, it is what it is and he never forced me to make any choices or anything that I was uncomfortable with at any point in our relationship and still 10 years like it'll be 10 years next September to this day he still hasn't he's just loved me and provided for me and protected me and it was such a stark contrast to how I grew up hmm. and uh, so I, 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 I'm sure you're you're getting to this but Mm-hmm. thus far in the story uh, incredible of a story as it is um it mm-hmm. almost reminds me of kind of the uh uh scientology stories you know uh, of just people getting out and it was a cult and it really affected me incredibly powerful but often for many reasons and reasons i couldn't uh, blame them i'm out of religion completely no more. I'm out of here. Um, if this is what God is, I don't want any part of it. So how does that work? I get out of this cult where this is just shoved down my throat. How, how do you, how do you, how do you find God after that? Where, what's the next step after that? I, so obviously you with your career and everything know Maslow's hierarchy of needs. So the bottom tier, I got the bottom tier of survival set in. I had a place to live. I had a job. I had food. I had what I needed. Then I worked up kind of the pyramid. Maybe in editing, they can like show a little thingy of it or something. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Not trying to tell you how to live your life. (laughs) But yeah, so I kind of got that dialed in. And when I felt like I could shake my contacts out before I went to bed at night Hmm. and actually breathe. That's when I started praying Hmm. and I didn't quite know how to, but my heart knew. And so I drifted back to my Catholic days. I drifted back Hmm. to, you know, the prayers that my mom would get on her knees right in front of the big portrait of Jesus that lay over my bed in our gorgeous penthouse overlooking Fenway Pot and would pray. And I went back to that. I found those words in my heart again and I said them because I knew that no matter what was going on with me, 
if God was the real, if God was out there, I mean, now I know that he is very much, but just yeah. like where I was back then, kind of, that his plans for the world, for myself, if I was fortunate enough to be kind of among them, were so much bigger than anything I was going through. Hmm. It was so much bigger. It was so much better. And what was on the other side of that was so much more crucial and poignant than anything I had ever come up against. Hmm. And so I knew that all it took was the, like the faith the size of a mustard seed, which is like super, super teeny. And yeah. if I could have that, and if I could hold that in my heart, the good things would happen that I would feel that love, that I would feel that protection, and I would feel that safety because my sunscreen's, like, getting in my eyes, and it's making my eyes water, which is not a coping mechanism, I promise you. (laughs) Sorry about that. Um, And so I knew that if I just did a little bit and gave a little bit, that he would give a little bit. Can we actually pause right here? Because I literally yeah. am having like, no, you're I'm good. so sorry. It no, genuinely is sunscreen. I will be right back. If I had faith the side of a mustard seed, that scripture kind of always stuck with me in my heart. And I never had hatred for God. I just had more confusion. Because the God that they taught me that Jehovah was, was not the God that I was brought up with for the first five years of my life believing what Jesus was. I have vivid, vivid memories skipping around my little Catholic preschool, little Catholic Montessori preschool that was right across the street and going, you know, Jesus loves me, this I know because the Bible tells me so. <laughs> like, I love Jesus. And I feel like it would be so easy for anyone coming out of Jehovah's Witnesses to really hate God. <laughs> I mean, that's one of my biggest issues I have with Jehovah's Witnesses. I mean, there's a lot of like theological things, or there's a lot of like other things, there's a lot of like personal past experience things. The latter, which have mostly healed from things to therapy. But it just I have this real to be like, okay, you I'm not here to tell you what religion you're supposed to be, but just whatever you do, please don't become a Jehovah's Witness because that will hurt your relationship with God. And because of all of the horrible things I've seen during my time there and the horrible things that I researched that kind of clicked in my head afterwards, like there were certain pictures that they had in their, you know, publications. And I was like, why does this picture of Jesus make me feel so uncomfortable? Like, it's a picture of Jesus. Is there something wrong with me? Is there something wrong with, like, my hot posture that I have to correct? That I'm just, like, I don't know, doing something bad? Because, like, that's where your mind goes to when a picture of Jesus makes you feel uncomfortable. And then I found that same picture after I came out. And if you put that picture up to a mirror, it's literally the head of a demon. Good grief. Yeah. Yeah, and that's not the only picture that's like that. It's not the only satanic thing in the religion. I know you're Baptist, but Baptists have communion, right? Um. Yeah. So we we don't uh, 
Uh, it it kind of depends on the church. We do communion at my church every week. Um, but mm-hmm. yeah, we do communion. So with the communion wafer and the wine, you might have have you heard of the memorial, the one holiday Jehovah's Witnesses have? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, a lot of people have been invited throughout throughout the years. Um, that celebration is literally. So part of it is a theological misrepresentation and a part of it is satanic, honestly. So the theological representation is they believe that the 144,000 isn't chosen out of the 12 tribes of Judah, but instead chosen out of random Jehovah's Witnesses that like have a mental calling, vision, dream kind of thing. And it's 144,000 since 1914. And because of that, if you're not a part of the 144,000, you take the communion, you hold it in your hands on like the plate because they use like unleavened like wafer cracker kind of thingies, but they're different from the one that I grew up with in the Catholic church. So they're like slightly different, but basic idea. And you take that and you pass that. So you basically go through the act of refusing communion on the one holiday that Jehovah's Witnesses have. And then they read the scriptures and then you do the same with the wine. Wow. That's, that is so, yeah, you can really see the, uh, uh, satanic type of things that go yeah. into that. Cause that is the, like you said, the exact opposite of, of, of what we would celebrate um yeah interesting regardless of your Very denomination if you are in christianity you observe communion by taking it and it becoming part of you not by passing it forward and rejecting it and it always struck me as weird that like it was such a somber energy it was mm-hmm. more funeral like than more somber than sacred i guess Because you'd think, okay, tonight is the night specifically set aside to commemorate what Jesus has done for us, that he gave his life and that, you know, God, the father. Yeah. So that he gave his only begotten son, the only son directly created by him, that we might be saved, that we might have the gift of eternal, you know, depending on like different theological points, but like that we have a chance and how no matter like no matter how much we're imperfect as long as you know we do the things that the bible tells us to do you'd think there'd be some happiness in that yeah. you'd think there'd be some like reverence and like sacredness not some somber you're going to like a funeralishness and that's how it yeah. always was well, I think that's something that you get into with, um, I think it's part of what makes Christianity stand out as a whole. Um, obviously, there's different theological beliefs and differences yeah. and denominations, but it isn't a works-based religion. Um, it, it's 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 faith-based. It's not about, uh, in fact, I was uh, just on a, a guest on another podcast this morning, and it uh, they used a great phrase of, it's not what you know it's who you know it's that you know christ um mm-hmm. and that's th- that's what the celebration is around it's not about it's not about anything you did it's that he did and and we love him and we we praise him for saving us despite us not being justified and 
yeah, that's celebratory. It's yeah. Thank thank God for for saving me, and not a, well, I'm not good enough. Like <laughs> that, I can exactly. see that somber tone. That that is intriguing. It felt like it felt like New Year's mixed with a funeral, mm. but like wow. kind of like a military funeral. Yeah. If you've ever been to like a military funeral you kind of know the difference where it's like sure. a bit more like i i um i have a military family background my grandfather fought in world war ii on guadalcanal and our family lineage with military history dates all the way back to the revolutionary war where my great times 10 grandfather warned about the british coming mm. paul Revere. not wow. a fire <laughs> uh, yeah yes yeah <laughs> Wow. Uh, yeah, no, I, 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 you can see that kind of to your point there, though, that it's very regimented, very ritualistic <laughs> in, in that kind of sense. Um, but yeah, not a lot of joy, not not much joy. Yeah. It's you're awful. <laughs> and yeah, there's a piece when we, when we start looking at at scripture. Um, if you look at the law, you, you're looking through Leviticus, through through the Ten Commandments. There is a piece there of the law that shows, yep, you can't do that. You know that whole honor your mother and father thing? You probably backtalked at some point. You yep. can't do this on your own. And that's a good thing. That's that brokenness of showing, yep, you're right. I can't do this. I do need a savior. And that points me to the cross, which is fantastic that we show I can't do this, but guess what? Christ did it for me. And that's exactly. beautiful. That is a beautiful coming together. But it almost seems here, Jehovah's Witness, it's first off, you have a worst version of the law to, to begin with. Yeah. And th that's it. You, you're terrible. Work your way up. Maybe you make it, but probably not. Yeah. That's that's not very encouraging. Yeah, it it wasn't. And it was just, it was really hard to kind of fit into like growing up because for being a religion like that was also like very cliquish. Mm -hmm. I mean, I was kind of just one of those like teeny bopper little kids that was like nice to everybody as much as I could be. And then like everybody else was like, to a degree, was nice to me. <laughs> I, except for like this one friend of me I had who I thought we were friends because I was naive. I was... I was a sweet, sweet summer child. And so I told her, I was like, oh my God, I have my first kiss. And then immediately she went and told the elders because it was one of those religions where it was kind of like, um, it was actually, I was, I had a talk last night with my friend, Justin, who, um, he was in prison for about 15 years. And so it's kind of like, if an inmate has information about another inmate and they don't tell the guards, then they get massively punished. Mm -hmm. And that was just striking similarity to my experience that I was like, wait, whoa, that was crazy. Because if I didn't go and tell somebody if I knew something, like this girl who like kissed another boy from a different congregation in the library of the Kingdom Hall, that like I would get in trouble if they found out I knew about it. Mm. This is real tea. Yeah. Real tea based on real events. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. And so that, it always felt like everybody was looking at me. Everybody knew things. Like, yeah. I remember once when I was trying to figure things out and kind of toe 
back in kind of when I was fence sitting in my, like when I was 20 before I met my husband, I remember, um, I was kind of in a relationship with this other guy and he wanted to take me on a street art tour in New York, except the problem there, there were, there were many problems with that. If you have a fully developed brain, (laughs) but if you don't, and you were raised in a very, very sheltered environment. You don't see them. You only see the fact that, oh, no, Bethel is in New York. What happens if somebody sees me and spots me and tells my parents? doesn't matter that I'm 20. What if they tell my parents? Wow. I remember we finally get to New York. I had told them that I was hanging out with some Bethelites that had come down, and I was going to be at my friend's house, and I <laughs> hid my Bible underneath my trundle bed. Not in the best moment, but, you know, it makes for an interesting story. And we get there, finally, to New York, after, like, taking a small break and, like, sleeping in a New Jersey parking lot in the car. And Jesse's there. Two Jehovah's Witnesses, two incarnate witnesses. And I was like, they found me! They know! (laughs) I was a significantly paranoid child. I'm sure your background, you can see why. Sure. That that to a somebody that's on the outside, like, wow, yeah, you're really making too much of that. That I've had Jehovah's Witness at my door, like that's common. Um, but to you, that makes all the sense in the world because yeah. that was not safe. You don't feel safe. So it felt real. It felt like that's they're really gonna come and get me. Yeah. <laughs> I like hid behind him as we were like passing. I was like, they don't know me. They can't tell. <laughs> I tried to like put on like, I like, you know how like chameleons just do that thing. And then I all of a sudden they're a different color. I tried to yeah. like tighten up and like do that thing. And I'm like, no, I'm a worldly person. Yeah. You don't know me. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um. Now, now since you've kind of been out of this, it's been several years now. Yeah. Um, do you feel your faith, um, and, and I don't mean this in any type of disparaging mm-hmm. way, um, we all have different doubts at, at certain times. Do you feel some of those old doubts that kind of creep back up um, because of your experience? Or do you almost kind of feel the opposite, that, that your past experience has just really fortified your faith throughout the years? Depending, like, right now, my answer would be very different than three months in or three years in where I was di- like, I honestly don't really care who knows this, but I was like diagnosed with CPHTSD because mm-hmm. of all of like the Jehovah's Witness stuff. Sure. And because of that, I would have like really bad panic attacks mm-hmm. and I would wake up in the middle of the night sweating and screaming that like Armageddon was going to come get me and I was going to die at Armageddon. Cause mm-hmm. the last thing my aunt and uncle said to me, before they kicked me out of the house and Kyle came and picked me up because they had assaulted me and I couldn't go to the police and be like, yeah, they assaulted me because it would just be a whole thing was your mom's going to be so mad at us that we let you die at Armageddon because of the fact that you're a piece of trash. And so because of that, I used to wake up screaming and going, Oh my God, Armageddon's going to get me. But in my late teens, I automatically kind of thought I was going to die at Armageddon anyways. I wasn't good enough. Who mm. was God to love me? Nobody loved me, really. Yeah. And so because of that, I was just like, but then I kind of just pushed it away. I like pushed it away, got through it. Then now the only time I really had 
an issue like that was right before I started my podcast and I had I had to ask some more like spiritually mature friends to see if this really was what it was but I had actually experienced some mnemonic oppression right before I started my podcast because I would just be going about my life getting ready for the podcast doing all sorts of things and I'd hear Shofa and I was like what the heck (laughs) like what and it happened numerous times it didn't matter if my husband was home it didn't matter if he wasn't home it didn't matter what I was doing what time of day it wasn't anything and so I just hungered down and prayed and read the bible way more because I was like okay no but it's definitely fortified my beliefs that I'm on the right track with trusting Jesus and trusting the Bible. And for some reason, the way I'm going about it now just feels so much more natural. Like it's what I should be doing as opposed to back when I was in the thick of it with Jehovah's Witnesses. Yeah. No, I I think that's great and um, completely makes sense why there will be some lasting effects from your time and i i would imagine those some of those to a degree with some of the scars will be there forever you're you're human and we don't just forget those times but it's it's exciting to see on on your end of that faith being fortified of being able to have those relationships to Hey, I'm struggling right now. Um, uh, and helping pointing pointing you in the right direction. I, I, yeah, that's that's incredible, and it definitely points back to to the Creator that we believe Absolutely. that when He saves us, He He keeps us. That we we never leave His hand. Um, exactly. And I, I think that's so so powerful and so beautiful that in those weak moments, um, He's it's not. Just like the- Exactly. It's just like the Apostle Paul said, for when I am weak, that that's when, you know, God strengthens me and I'm the strongest. Yes, absolutely. So, And that's very much been my experience. Even the way I got saved the second time around, because a couple years ago, I, well, I have a chronic illness and I was supposed to go on my first business trip. And I was so excited because I'm still relatively on the younger side of like, business things and I was like so amped and then I called my doctor because I was experiencing some weird symptoms and she's like you need to go to the hospital and I'm like "Mm, but I have a flight at this time and I get to stay at this fancy resort and the company is paying for it and I don't want to miss out and she's like nope you got to do it otherwise you're gonna like faint and pass out on the airplane and I was like fine (laughs) (laughs) because Thankfully, we very much had that relationship where I could be a little bit of a petulant child and she could be like, no, this is what you're doing. I'm like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, she got her dream job, so she's no longer my doctor, but she's amazing. Um, and so I went to the hospital and they made me stay. And they kept telling me, oh, you maybe can go home tomorrow. You maybe can go home tomorrow. You maybe can go home tomorrow. On and on for a week. And I was telling my boss, maybe I can go home tomorrow. I offered to zoom in. It was a whole thing. I was so excited. And they were like, no, you shouldn't zoom in. You're literally in the hospital. I'm like, okay, fine. (laughs) And then they got mad at me for not zooming in. But anyways. And so while I was in there, I was sleeping, but I had woken myself up because I was crying in my sleep because I was in so much pain. It was, it was the worst. And then all of a sudden I see this, like, if you're not a Christian, this is going to sound crazy. But if you truly believe 
like I'll let you make your own mind up about what happened. I saw this bright light and I had never seen a light that bright before and it didn't seem to have a point of origin. And I was like, what the heck is happening? Especially because I wasn't supposed to be there. I wasn't supposed to be in that hospital room because they just kept telling me, oh, maybe you can go home tomorrow. And so the light came closer and it said in this voice that I've never kind of heard a voice quite like this before. Would you like to pray together? And then when they... Because the thing is, with the way the light was, I couldn't make out if it was a man, if it was a woman, if it was what it was. But they asked if I would like to pray. And I said, yes, I would like that very much. And so we prayed together. And then I felt this peace that I had never felt before since I was maybe a very young child. I had finally felt that peace of God that is talked about in the scriptures. Hmm. And when I was ready to like, look like I was like experiencing it in that moment and I was going to look up and thank that person or the light or whatever it was. And by that time it had disappeared entirely. It had just vanished. Hmm. And I don't know what it was. The jury's still out, but I mean, now I'm a Christian <laughs> through and through more fortified and going strong than ever for the past few years. I, I, I think that just continually um, where your, where your focus is and where your faith is. Um, if my faith is in uh, this is kind of a, a silly example, but uh, around these parts, college football is a big deal. If my yep. faith is in, Oh, you went in the football game and that's it. Then that's my God. It's not a very good God. Like if, <laughs> if they lose, then I'm, I'm kind of in trouble. Um, your faith, your God could be Jehovah. We can make that, but we've kind of shown that that's not a very good God. And that's exactly. the basis of why being in depth and and scripture knowing more about who god is being in a community of believers um that can help spur us on towards towards god that it's not about it's not about what i have done here it's about who i love who i'm serving um awesome awesome story i i think that it's there's so many different winds and turns and honestly i'm i'm kind of curious uh, of this um mm -hmm. have you considered doing um anything further with your story of of a book or something of of that nature the thing is we're friends so i'll give you the fully transparent answer yeah. not the first person who asked me that i definitely because my story is wild from the day i was born <laughs> And it's one of those things where every time I go and I try to sit down and I try to write it, I try to find that break in point. Like, yeah. you know, if you've ever really written anything and I just, I can't make it work. <laughs> I can't like, yeah. I feel like if I ever get to the point financially where I can hire a ghostwriter mm. yeah. and just have some really solid conversations with them and be like, this is what happened. Ask me anything. This is what happened. Ask me anything. Yeah that I'd be able to 
with their help turn something out that would be encouraging and interesting and I mean, it's me, so I don't want to say fascinating because I'm not like, I'm fascinating. <laughs> but like other people say it is. So yeah. it's one of those things where it's like, if it lends itself, if a path becomes open to do something like that, awesome. I wouldn't turn it down. I wouldn't not consider it. But at this point, I just, trying to go it alone has been a bit tricky. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's but, just... I'm sure I won't be the last person to ask you. It just is a <laughs> on the outside looking in. Yeah, there's just so, so much. And I, sharing your, your story on here was awesome. But like you're saying, um, there's more to it. And that book format could be a better way to hash some of those things out. Now, I know it's way easier for me to say, yeah, I write a book. Um, but <laughs> to actually do that is, is a whole other venture. But yeah. uh, no, hey, if it was... And the weird thing is I have written some stuff before and it feels like it's easier to go with something I can heavily research mm. as opposed to something I've heavily like lived through. I mean, obviously yeah. I've lived through the entire thing. It's my life, but I don't know. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it, it does. It does. And there's definitely a more, obviously an extremely personal angle to this too, um, which it's impossible for you to be completely unbiased writing your story. Like you're going to be as biased as possible. You, you lived it. Um, whereas you're researching something. Yeah. You, you're just reporting You're looking those things up. So no, I totally get what you're saying with that. I feel like, especially like with research is more, you can sink your teeth into versus having lived experience, especially if you've been through a lot of traumatic things, Yeah, there's missing pages. There's kind of like, this is your life story. Here are some pages that your brain tore out on you without asking for permission. Yeah. Yeah. No, <laughs> I, I, I could definitely see that, but yeah, maybe one day you'll get that ghost writer or whatever. And I, I would be very interested in reading that. Should that, should that day come? I'm also going to be um, doing a, I'm letting, for my birthday month coming up, I'm letting my, two of my best friends, Marissa and Sarah, take over my stream, and they're going to ask me a ton of questions, and it's it should be a really good time, so DM me if there's any questions that you want them to ask me, and I will yeah. make sure I put that in, so it's at the base at Twitter, so. Yeah. I think that's that's great for for anyone that's curious. Uh, definitely send that her way. Now, uh, one thing I like to end on with the yeah. with most of my guests on here is again just some more of that active type of tone. Um, you had some very active things that you have done through throughout your life. Um, what are some just real practical things that those listening in the audience could could maybe do to make some type of impact in their life? Does anything come to mind? So there's kind of three things that I would land on there. The first thing to make an active impact in your life is definitely to be in his word as often as you can, because when you're in his word as often as you can, they, it's easier to have those words transcribed on your heart. Yeah. And that way God and our love for God is able to show through all of our actions and through all of the things that we do as we're getting, you know, closer to him. The second thing I would recommend is using Public Square. It's an app. Mm. I honestly recently downloaded it. I used some of the information off of it, like on their website. To be like, oh, this is a good brand. But really looking at when it comes to voting with your dollar, 
where are those dollars going to? Yeah. It's definitely a hot topic right now with the whole Target thing and the fact that I, as (laughs) a basic white girl, can't shop at Target anymore (laughs) because of the horrible things they're doing. It is a bit tricky, but it's what my husband told me to do. And it's what I feel is right in my soul. So that's what we're doing. Um, So just looking at those, you know, kind of the boycotts that seem like they can make the most impact. You don't have to boycott everything. It's impossible. And some of them are easier than others because with Bud Light, you have a lot more, you have a lot more choices. You have whiskey, you have tequila, you have the option to just not drink at all, you know? All sorts of different beers, but with Target, sometimes it feels a bit more inconvenient. But one of the things I like doing um, when it comes to that is looking at the brands that actually do support the change that you want to see in the world. And I'm fortunate where actually I made another new friend on Twitter. His name's Rob. He owns his own coffee company. It's called North Arrow Coffee, and they give 15% of all of their profits to pro-life causes, to pregnancy centers, to help those women to know that, you know, I feel like it's easy to get back into a corner and think that something's your only option. Yeah. Especially considering my life journey. But the work that they do over there to help those pregnancy centers, to help those moms and those babies, make sure that they get what they need is so crucial. And on top of it, they have a great product. (laughs) Like, my bestie has never, ever, ever, like, gotten super hyped up about a decaf coffee. Because, (laughs) I mean, I'm kind of like the dust before decaf crowd myself. But she said it was the most flavorful brew she's ever had. So if she feels that way about the decaf coffee, just imagine the regular coffee. (laughs) It is absolutely delicious. So that's, you know, northrocoffee.com. And if you use code FREDA, F-R-E-D-A, you can actually save 10% off yourself. Hey, there we go. Not only some some good things to think about, we have a super practical one that, and we even save you a little bit of money. So fantastic. And I, I, I think your points there are really well taken. And I really like your approach there that, hey, like like that target boycott that's going on right now, that's that's the that's probably one of the bigger ones I've seen in some time. Um and we actually had not been there for for a little while and uh, I try not to be like a holier than thou type of person but uh, yeah. we saw things about some chest binders that they had like a year or two ago like, eh, nope out of there yeah um and all that being said y- yeah you're not going to be able to do any and everything and newsflash most of the bigger companies they probably hate your guts even if they don't yeah. say it <laughs> like that's just kind of the reality exactly so, Finding not just boycotting things, but finding things that are actually doing good things. Public Absolutely. Public Square app is wonderful. Um, it's a great idea to get involved with some local um, businesses that are have very similar values. Uh, North Arrow Coffee. Um, hey, I definitely encourage everyone. I'll put that down in the description. Check them out. Um, yeah, that's just one quick thing that. If your dollar's not doing perfect everywhere else, at least we're doing something here. Um, exactly. I, I think that that's just a real, real practical, good advice there. Plus, it I feel like sometimes when it comes to 
making a practical switch. It's harder when you feel like you're being inconvenienced versus versus when you feel like, oh, this is a change and I'm actually getting something much better in return. Yes. Like making your North Arrow coffee, saving yourself money from going to, you know, for instance, Starbucks, which actually funds abortion for their employees. You can start your day knowing that you're making, you know, the right choice and maybe drinking some delicious pro-life coffee while you're in the word before you go and have a great day. There you go. I I, I like that practicality. And um, I I would almost kind of add to that. uh, This goes to some of the, uh, uh, if you've done any Dave Ramsey, like financial peace stuff before, he talks about the debt snowball. And Mm -hmm. what he means by that is you pay off one loan and then you pay off the next one and the next one and the next one and just kind of builds up. Yeah. Do the same thing when it comes to your finances and, and kind of voting with your dollar um, of start with something like that real basic and then see if there's something else. Is there another brand, another thing that has a good alternative there? And just go that way. Don't say I'm not going to shop at any big store ever starting tomorrow because that's probably not going to be true. Yeah, um, you're probably going to go against that. So start small and let it build up over time. It's kind of exactly like that with like New Year's resolutions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I am so guilty of like going to like some smoothie company and getting like kale and matcha smoothies thinking <laughs> this is going to be the time. But then you drink it and you're like, this is so bad. And then you just throw it away. And then you're like, why did I do that? Yeah. I mean, yeah. Hopefully you're smarter than me and don't actually go for like the kale matcha protein in the morning, <laughs> especially if you don't like matcha, <laughs> but making those small, you know, changes that might feel small, might feel like, oh, is this worth doing? Because it doesn't feel like I'm doing a ton, but you're mm-hmm. just replacing something that's going to be much better for you in the long run. Even yeah. I found this awesome new sum, sunscreen because I'm super, super pal and sunscreen is super important, but a lot of it like leaves you feeling like greasy and gross and stuff. And it's called Mimi, um, N-I-M-I skincare. And I'm actually in the works to be a brand ambassador for them because they are a conservative company that's all about faith, all about femininity and all about freedom. And so once I get my code, I'll um, give that to you so you can share it with your audience if you'd like. Yeah, absolutely. No, I I think that banding together with with like-minded people is just just so incredibly important and and that might be something that i'll kind of throw in there too is find friends find those fox foxhole buddies uh, kind of like you were you were talking about before um don't just focus on oh target did this and it's terrible like yeah again starting place yeah you should you probably should be upset by that but don't just stay there. Find people that you can be there alongside with, form relationships with, and not just sitting in that anger because that will eat you up. And Absolutely. eventually you're just going to be apathetic and hate everything. And that that's, yeah. that's just not worth it. The point is to get red pilled, not black pilled. <laughs> exactly. That's a great <laughs> slogan. Yes. Black pilled, you do nothing good. For no. you. You're just a bum at that point. Exactly. It's far too nihilistic when you're so numb from everything yes. going on. Yes. Well, where where can the audience find you at? So they can find me on um, Finding the Faith on Rumble. And then I am the base babe everywhere else. 
Perfect. All right. Well, if you search the base, babes, you're going to find her. So uh, encourage everyone to do that. It was great having you on and kind of going through your story. And yeah, everybody, please, please check her out. Go get some North Arrow coffee code Frida and you'll get your good, good 10% off there. So uh, again, thanks for being on today. Of course. Thank you for having me. And I'm so glad that we were able to meet on Twitter and have this, you know, beautiful conversation come out of it. Absolutely. All right. Well, everyone, thanks for listening. Um, We'll catch you on the next episode and we'll just continue fighting for truth. Y'all take care.